Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. Hello everybody and welcome to the View from the Lane, the soon-to-be multi-award-winning Tottenham Hotspur podcast from The Athletic. Joining me, your host Danny Kelly, are The Athletic's Jack Pitbrook and James Moore. Hello everyone and a very happy new year to both Jack and James and to every single one of you. Uh, on today's episode, we'll wrap up a Christmas period which saw Spurs climb to within one point in the top four. Um, we'll also bid farewell to Hugo Lloris after the confirmation of his move to LAFC. Um, before today's, we start today's show, we must remind you that we are the defending champions as the best team podcast at the very prestigious Sports Podcast Awards. So I need you to head to our Twitter page at VFTL Podcast for all the details of how to vote. Now, we haven't done many podcasts over the Christmas so we're behind in the voting. We need you to go over there uh, and start to do the voting. It's, it's a simple process, but we're madly keen to defend our title. As I said already, we've been the first Spurs institution to defend a title since the FA Cup in 1982. So that's at VFTL Podcast for all the details. We haven't been on air for about 10 days, but a great deal has happened. So much to get through. So we thought you'd play a little wrap-up of the best of the action over the Christmas period. Poro, Saar, good take, slips it into Johnson, two in the middle, Richardson! He is red hot at the moment! And against his old club, Richardson gets the opener! Foul by Lo Celso, penalty to Brighton, same run-up, same outcome, Brighton have won, 4-0 is their lead. Breaking transfer news to bring you, and Tottenham have confirmed that Hugo Lloris has left the club to join Los Angeles FC. He's been a brilliant servant to Tottenham, 11 seasons at the club, well over 300 appearances as well. But he's on his way to the US and Los Angeles FC. I believe that the most important thing is uh, what you leave uh, as uh, an impression towards the people, towards the fans. And for me, uh, this is more important than anything else, you know. But, I will be a Spurs member forever, you know, and also uh, we will have the, the Spurs DNA for life. I head into the new year uh, full of um, optimism and realism, but let's just uh, talk about um, the Christmas period, if we may. 
Um, and James, two wins from three um, and a chaotic defeat. Um, a good Christmas for Spurs? I think you'd probably have to say yes in points terms. In performances, possibly not. I mean, also, I guess you have to factor in how the other teams around them or immediately behind them have fared. And I've not got that in front of me, but I suspect a lot of those teams have actually dropped more points. I mean, Villa obviously lost that game at Manchester United, Drew, Sheffield United. Manchester United lost to Forest, as you mentioned before, and someone else. They dropped points against someone else, I think. You know, you know, Arsenal have dropped points, as I'm, I'm sure we'll mention at some point, and a couple of the other teams too. So... Uh, I don't think Spurs have been at all convincing in any of those three games, really, or for, or for kind of long periods. But in the circumstances, as we discussed many, many times in the last, what, like kind of month, two months of the year, last year, uh, I think that's pretty good going, really. I mean, Jack, you, you, you've come back from your um, paternity leave, and um, I hope I'm not giving anything away that it's the first birthday of your child, so congratulations to her. Um, but you've come straight back into the maelstrom. Multiple injuries, de- departures for uh, international tournaments, um, suspensions, wild games again involving Spurs. Welcome back, uh, Jack. And what did you make of the Christmas period? Yeah, I, re- I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Um, I went. I was at the Amex last week to see Tottenham lose to Brighton. And then I was at the, at the home game against Bournemouth, which they won. And trying to take the two games together, I don't think that Tottenham are looking amazing at the moment. I think there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of reasons why that's the case. Not least the the injury list, the fact that the players who are having to play every game all look exhausted. It's been a pretty demanding first half of the season. Even without European football, they clearly need lots of new, you know, they need people to come back from injury and they need signings in the window. I mean, against Brighton, I just thought they were, Brighton were much the better team. Tottenham really struggled to play that kind. It felt a little bit like the Wolves game in the sense that Tottenham were trying to play Postacoglu football, but without really the the players who could do it. Um, They couldn't really play out from the back. They kept making defensive mistakes. They massively missed Romero and Brighton caught them off guard. And and then the Bournemouth game, I actually thought Bournemouth were probably the better team, or at least were the better team for a lot of it. So basically between Tottenham's first goal and their second goal, it was all Bournemouth, and they should have scored more. Um, or sorry, they should have scored, but as ever, a combination of bad finishing plus Vicario managed to to, to, to save Spurs. So I basically I agree with James. You know, I think the, the performances are the results are better than the performances right now, but I do think, you know, there's clearly reasons why the result, the performances are bad. There are definitely players there who just look absolutely shattered. And you think, you know, it, it, it kind of stands to reason there's been minimal rotation over the last two months for obvious reasons. Uh, and there are a few players there. Well, one, there are a couple of players playing out of position, as we've said before, Davis and Royale, who you probably have to say have done reasonably well, or in Davis's case, I think very well. Uh, and then there are other players, you know, like someone like Pedro Porro, who... I mean, I'm, I'm sure he's not paid every minute of every game over the whole season, but it feels like he pretty he must be pretty close to that. Uh, you know, he, he's looked... I think even in that Chelsea game, I think I remember him going down and looking knackered and worrying that he might go off. And he's presumably... He started every game since then, he probably has. Emerson started at Brentford on the opening day of the season and then Emerson started the League Cup game at Craven Cottage... Uh, on the 29th of August. But every other game, Porro started. And I can't remember him coming off many times in that span. I think in normal circumstances, if like there had been a centre-backs available and Royale was therefore available to put right back, 
at Porro might not have played quite as much football. Uh, that's just an example, but there are other players in the team who, you know, in midfield, say, where, you know, uh, look, look, Benson Kerr probably wouldn't have come back so quickly had it not been for the fact that Basuma and Madison and in this game, Kulazewski, were, oh, in the Bournemouth game, I should say, Kulazewski were missing. It's like, you know, that they've, uh, Kogli's really had to, he's not basically picked a team too often. He's had the team picked for him more often than not. And that's why, you know, you're right to point out that the performances over Christmas, none of them have been vintage. Um, but I, and of course, I'll contradict myself in the next podcast and be crying and banging on the table about what happens against Burnley or something. Um, but I'm trying to cut them a lot of slack at the moment because they really are a mix and match team. In fact, it's arguable the game against Burnley, it is arguable that Spurs have a better 11 not available to the manager than the one they'll put out. Um, we'll we'll see about that, but it would be a very good argument to have in the pub. So um, the fact that they're clawing these points out, um, a, a it shows a bit a bit of gumption. They didn't show, you know, it was chaotic at Brighton, absolutely chaotic, and um, at there were times when I, I felt I might have to break the television. Um, but you know, they they got uh, Bournemouth were a very very informed team, Everton too, and they managed to get the points off these teams. And this is you know ending. This year, just one point off the top four, given everything that's happened over the entire year and everything that's happened already this season, things could have gone so much better, but they could have gone so much worse as well. Um, so I was, I was pleased um, that they got, they got the result. Let's talk about the game against Bournemouth because that's the nearest. Um, the injury to Saar, and I don't know how serious it is, and the latest news, Jack, is that he's probably going to be okay for AFCON, yeah? Yeah, I think he saw spoke after the game, or some went on social media after the game and said that um, it's not as bad as as first feared. I think it would have to be very. So I, I mean, I took it from that that he will be going to Cote d'Ivoire to, to to play for Senegal. Richarlison scored a replica against Bournemouth of his goal against Everton. The near post run, the near post finish. You could argue they were proper strikers' goals, particularly um, as Brandon Johnson appears to have a very very. Um, accurate cross along the ground uh, available to him, which is great. So I put it to you, James Moore. Some Saudi Arabian club comes in January and offers you £60 million from for Richarlison. Are you taking it? I, I reckon possibly not at the moment. I, I, this feels like Richarlison's in a bit of a sweet spot. And yeah, whoever you sign as a centre-forward, and we probably work on the basis that Spurs aren't going to sign Haaland or probably even Ivan Tony. Uh, uh, like it, it is a bit of a gamble bringing a striker in as we kind of saw with the first season of Richarlison and now it feels like things are aligned in terms of the system and his happiness his fitness uh, that it sort of to me it would be for that amount of money it might not be worth rocking the boat and we need to bear in mind that's basically what Spurs have paid for him in the first place so uh, actually now I would say possibly not Purely on the basis of it being like a bit of a gamble. We, I mean, look, we talked earlier in the season about how Spurs needed another goalscorer other than Son when Madison got injured. Richarlison has become that over the last month. I mean, he's scored five goals in five games. Would you take the £60 million for Richarlison, Jack? I don't think I would. Uh, just because... Like, I know he's not a perfect player, but, you know, he's settled into Spurs now. He's well, He's been there 18 months. He can play as a number nine or on the left, which you kind of need, I think. Um, he's currently in good. He's got five in the last five, which is the best run of goal scoring he's had since he's been at Tottenham. I'm not that confident that if they had, if they had the 60 million in the bank now, they would. I mean, look, if they if they sold Richarlison, the first thing they would have to do would be buy a replacement, and that replacement 
would either be, I mean, I don't know who the best player they could get is. Could they get Ozzyman? It would cost more than 50, 60 million. Um, and then they'd have to get a replacement who would either be, you know, not as good as Richarlison or who would be more expensive. So on that basis, I think I'd probably keep the money. No, I keep trying. I keep Richarlison. I keep Richarlison and say no to the money. In the summer, it's different, I think. When you've got, like, the wiggle room in terms of, like, you can sell him in June and then have a month or six weeks to get a replacement and then that player has pre-season or whatever. That, that's totally different. But doing it mid-season when you've got a game within seven days, I think, feels like a massive risk. Um, there's also um, that pass for Son's goal, the outside of his left foot. Dear God in heaven. I mean, that could not have been more Spursy, that pass. And uh, he had a, I thought he had a really good game. I mean, you know, he does things like the penalty he gave away in the previous game. You just think, God almighty, you're an international footballer with caps. Um, but tell us about what you made of the Celso. Yeah, I mean, he's a bit of a um, sort of poor skulls tackler, isn't he? But I think, yeah, I mean, I thought the Bournemouth game was his, I think that was his best performance in years for Tottenham. So some people said he was really good against Villa early in the season. I only watched the game on TV, so I can't I can't judge. But I, I thought he was fantastic. You know, he was the first goal came from him him winning a 50-50 with Lewis Cook. The second goal, obviously, that was that pass was so good. And just before that pass, he'd actually created one counter-attack where Son set up with Charleston and Spurs didn't score, and then another counter-attack where Charleston set up Son and Spurs didn't score. So he was really and it was in that phase of the game against Bournemouth where Bournemouth were dominating the game and it was clear that if Tottenham were going, like Tottenham needed a second goal and if Tottenham were going to score a second goal, it was going to come on the break and it was going to be, it was going to have to be Le, Le Celso setting up Son. That was the only way Spurs were going to score. And it did happen. And that pass is just, it's so good. And the thing is, it's right now, I think the problem that's, one of the problems that Spurs have got, and this is something I wrote about, is that from almost the minute Madison arrived, Madison became their most important player or one of the most important players. And everything went through Madison and all the, the ball progression in the middle of the pitch and the chance creation went through to this guy who's only just shown up. And then, then you know, he gets injured against Chelsea and all of a sudden Tottenham don't have their main creator. And ever, si- and ever since then, clearly Postacoglu's been wrestling with how do we create chance without Madison? And I actually think the best... I, I think they they need somebody who can who can play those passes in the middle of the pitch, and I think the best player at that really, as much as I love Kulusevski, I think Le, Le Celso is better at that aspect of the game, and um, for as long as he's in the team, I think they've got they have that kind of Madison alternative, and that's what we saw. And also, could, one one final thing for the third goal, um, this all started, you know, Tottenham was tunnel up, they were in a lot of pressure in their own box. And then Lacelso won the ball on the edge of the Spurs area and then decided to take a big risk of dribbling it through the Bournemouth team forwards, you know, to relieve all this pressure Spurs are under. Eventually he wins a free kick from Senesi, who's booked, and then Tottenham moved the free kick quickly, and then, you know, five seconds later with Charlotte and sweeping the ball into the net for 3-0. So um yeah, involved in all three goals, brilliant all-round performance, and uh I hope he manages to show a bit of consistency, which of course is not something he's done really at all for about five years, but um, or at least not for Tottenham. Um, but yeah, re- really, really good. The other highlight of the game didn't happen, I guess it's fair to say, on the pitch, and that was at half-time. Hugo Lloris uh, was interviewed, and he's gone. Um, and I know, I know that his form, to some extent, I, I think he did, it deteriorated 
almost from the moment of the Champions League final. And he was one of those, I think, was bitterly affected by that. He also broke his arm about a few months after the Champions League final. He did, and and, and all that stuff. And his his form fell away. Um, But I don't think um, we should let his departure from the club, as we've had to do with people like Vertonghen, um, pass by James without remarking. And, of course, you can tell me that I'm a fool. Um, But I, I think, you know... Obviously, the, uh, Pat Jennings, but I'm, most people will not, I'll not remember Pat Jennings playing. He's been the best Spurs goalkeeper of modern times. Um, and his form, deterioration notwithstanding, never been a moment's trouble to the club. I think he's been great. And I, 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 I genuinely was delighted he got a chance to say goodbye to the crowd, James. I mean, you mentioned Vertonghen there. Obviously, he left, what, during sort of COVID in 2020. So didn't get the opportunity. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, but I'd actually say Lloris's form probably dropped off a bit before that Champions League final. And maybe, actually, and I'm sure we've discussed this before, but when Mourinho came in and there was less emphasis on sort of sweeper-keeper stuff at that point, that kind of gave him a uh, a sort of second peak, if you like. Uh, but yeah, I mean... Look, it, I think we were fairly clear last season that he needed to be replaced. But yeah, I, I, I think I don't like this kind of current trend and it is mostly a social media thing. And I know some people get annoyed when we talk about what people are saying on social media. But the, this idea of players being disrespected on the basis of their current state rather than their... What they've done. Yeah, their achievements, their loyalty. Yeah, yeah. Their legacy, their achievements at the club. Yeah, exactly. And it's a similar thing with Darren. I'm sure we'll have that We'll have that again when he leaves, be that this month or in the summer. Just because Hugo Lloris wasn't good enough to be in the team this season or maybe even second half of last season doesn't mean that he shouldn't be respected for the incredible body of work he has had at Spurs over the last... 11 years, 12 years. 447 appearances. I mean, in 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 the modern game. I know he's a goalkeeper, so they have a, an extra chunk of longevity. Even that, amazing amount of games he's played for Spurs. You know, in the, fir- in the first season, he was in and out of the team because AVB was doing that weird rotation thing with Friedel. And then, as Jack mentioned, he had that injury in 1920 that I think put him out for like, like half a season, right? It was quite a long time. So, you know, he, he has had kind of had moments out of the team too. Uh, yeah, it was it was quite strange, and you know we've talked a lot about that kind of uh, uh, the, the the Michel Vorm era team. I think that the kind of twenty twenty fourteen to twenty nineteen era that, that we've had to rebrand over the last few months, um, and obviously a lot of those players have gone now. But he's the first one who's felt like he's had like that moment that you mentioned, Danny, that where everyone's kind of been able to say. So it felt mo- it felt like a bigger thing than just like goodbye to one player. It kind of felt like a kind of quite big sort of a drawing of a line under that whole team, really. And I know there are still a couple of players left. You know, your die will go soon, I'm sure. And there's Son, Son and Davis still there, yeah. Uh, but yeah, it did feel like quite a big moment in terms of like moving away from that team and the memories of that team and now kind of moving forward. And, you know, we saw Papsar signing a new contract and we're going to talk about that a bit later. Uh, Udogi signing a new contract a couple of weeks ago. It does feel like we're really now entirely invested in this new team but it, I, I'm not sure whether we can quite call it a young team but there are definitely enough young players in there to, to kind of feel like there is a long tail I think he was fantastic for Spurs for a long long time you know what you can do is wish the fellow the best of luck or whatever you know going to America it's not the worst not the worst way to make make your living is it um, and hats off to him Vicario put a, a very nice thing on um, on Twitter he said to Hugo good luck uh, for this next chapter. Thank you for being so welcoming. 
You've been incredible for this club. I promise I'll do my best. And hashtag come on you Spurs. He is the player, Spurs player, who has had the most caps for his country um, while under contract to Spurs. I mean, I, I mean, I don't know the exact figure. I think he's got 145 caps for France. Um, and the vast, vast majority of them happened while he was a Spurs player. So unless, unless Harry Kane had stayed or comes back for another five years, Sheringham style, it's, I suspect that that is going to be a record that will never be broken. He said, knowing full well that it would be broken in two weeks' time because that's the way things happen. He was replaced um, as captain, uh, obviously, by Son. And then we have the captaincy group, all of whom are unavailable. Uh, Jack, you've written a piece on on, who, on who's going through the candidates. Who are those candidates? I mean, I know who I think it should be, but I'll, I'll come to that. Yeah, so basically, um, obviously, Son has two vice-captains, Madison and Romero, uh, who I think are both both very obvious choices but both of them are going to be out for most of January I think um, and with Son off to Qatar to play in the Asian Cup that means that Spurs will be without their three um, without the three options or the, without the, the the three leadership people uh, for the Burnley game Manchester United game at the least uh, so I wrote a piece looking at who it should who it might be um, I said it's my 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 gut instinct would be be, be Vicario over Ben Davis. Uh, I've had a few people saying, "Oh, what what about Benton Kerr, who I think would be a perfectly good choice." Um, Kulisevsky. Um but yeah, I think I go for Vicario. Uh, I, I, I speaking to what you were saying earlier, Danny, about you know the changing of the guard and the old the old guard m- moving on. I think that might count against Davis. You know, Davis has been fantastic this season, but he has been at Tottenham for coming up to ten years now. Um, he's probably not in the team when everyone's fit, which I think is possibly relevant. Um, so, so yeah, in my mind, it's Vicario over Davis. James, I wonder about Pedro Porro. Mm, interesting. I hadn't thought of him. He'll be in the team. Yeah, he will be in the team. I mean, look. I mean, these are our kind of preconceptions of what a captain should be, which have been massively undermined by Son basically being a really good captain and us not spotting it. Um, but he's very, he's vocal on the pitch. Uh, and he's clearly a very popular player in the group. So, uh, yeah, I wonder whether he might not be a bad shout. It just hadn't occurred to me, Poro. Um, I don't know why. Uh, I genuinely don't. I don't. No, no disrespect, Pedro, if you're listening. But I, um, I, uh, yeah, it's weird. I, I think I go for Vicario. I've got to be careful here, Jack, because you're, you're, you're. I don't want to hurt your tender feelings when you're just back to the park. I think it's a terrible idea. Poro or Vicario? No, Vicario. I think he's got quite enough on his plate. Um, I go back to uh, the aforementioned Pat Jennings, who, when he was Footballer of the Year, um, his speech consisted entirely, I think I've said this before, of the sentence, behind that defence, of course I'm Footballer of the Year. Um, And I think Vicario's got quite enough on his plate without being made captain. Just give it to Ben Davis. The other players know him. He knows the club. He's... It's not going to be a very long-term appointment, so he won't be miffed, um, you know, when he's on the bench again and not the captain. We're not appointing um, the captain of, Eng- of England's one-day team where um, it matters, you know. But um, I think sometimes we can overcomplicate matters. At the moment, things are so complicated for Spurs with the personnel issues. Do the simple thing here. Make Ben the captain. So just on this occasion...
most of us, January means New Year's resolutions. But for the footballing world, January means one thing. Transfers. The window is back open and that sound you can hear is managers frantically compiling their wish lists and agents tapping on their phones trying to get a good deal. While the rest of us wait for the next David Ornstein newsflash. There's a lot going on and to stay on top of every move that matters, you need the Athletic Football Podcast. They were prioritising somebody like Mason Mount, Ilkay Gundogan was in the mix. Five days a week, we'll help you cut through the noise with the most reliable reporters in the industry. David Ornstein, Adam Crafton, Laurie Whitwell and many more will not only tell you what the deal is, but how it happened too. So make sure you don't miss a single transfer beat in January with the Athletic Football Podcast. Listen for free wherever you get your shows and hit follow and subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome back to The View from the Lane with uh, Jack Pitt Brook, James Moore and me, Danny Kelly. Um, that creaking noise that you can hear in the background is that of the transfer window um, opening. But the first thing that happened um, was Hugo Lloris going to LA, the announcement of it. Um, and the second thing that happened was an incoming, um, if you can call it that, Jack, um, the return of Sergio Reguilón from Manchester United. Um I'm now making, you know, half of them are injured. I think that's five left backs, if you include Perisic, available to the manager or unavailable to the manager. Um, obviously, he's not in, He's not registered in the Premier League squad. Could he play against Burnley if he was required? So basically, Spurs, it's not in Spurs' interest to play him uh, because if they do play him, he can't then play for a third team this season. So obviously, what Spurs will want to do is shift him to somewhere else for the second half of the season, I think. So Spurs, I, I can't see why Spurs would pick him. And with the with the injury to Valise, does the same do you feel the same way about the returning Dane Scarlett? No, because Dane Scarlett has played for Spurs. So Scarlett can't play having played for Tottenham and Ipswich, Scarlett cannot play for third team anyway. So Scarlett has I think Tottenham have brought I mean the difference is that Tottenham have brought Scarlett back to be, you know, I don't think Scarlett's going to play a lot for the second half of the season, but he's an option. So Spurs have brought Scarlett back to be an option, whereas United have sent Regulon back, and now Tottenham need to go and send Regulon off to someone else. We should say on Regulon that the likelihood was always that he was going to come back in January. That was the way the loan was designed. And Manchester United had that injury to Shaw in the first half of the season, uh, and that clause was there. And I think we probably said at the time, 
there was every every possibility he would come back. I mean, from what from what I've seen from Manchester United fans and from watching them, like he's done reasonably well there. So I don't think he's necessary. It's not like he's kind of been sent back, having stunk the place out. It's more that Manchester United can't afford to spend loads of money and they want to get someone else in on loan this month. I think it's kind of a weird one, Regulon, isn't it? Because he came with he came to Tottenham with a really big reputation. It looked like a real coup. Yeah, because he'd done he, what he'd done really well with Sevilla winning the Europa League the previous season. He'd been at Real Madrid. There were lots of hopes that you know this guy was. Uh, everyone knows that left back is a really in demand position because you want someone who's very very quick and left sided. They can get up and down, and it looked like Spurs had got that, and he kind of did all right under. Under Mourinho at first, and then I think when Conte showed up, we kind of had high expectations that you know he would Conte would make him into a, a sort of dynamic wing back who would be able to play the Conte way, and that didn't really happen at all. And he's not played for Tottenham for almost two years now. His last Tottenham game was he played a little bit just when they were starting to improve under Conte in spring 2022, and since then he's gone. He's had a loan at Atletico Madrid, um, probably did okay, but not well enough. Loan at Man United, similarly. And he's now, you know, what, 27, coming up to his third successive loan spell. And his career is kind of going nowhere, which is which is sad and not what you would have expected given when there was all that fanfare when Tottenham signed him three and a bit years ago. He does strike me as a kind of player, if he went to, uh, you know, Crystal Palace or whoever, like a good team, but not one with quite the same like levels and expectations. Like he, he could be like a really big player for a club, like a really popular and very good player for someone like that. And then in two years' time, you're saying, oh, actually, should we have held on to Reguilón? But I, I just don't think, as as it stands, modern... Like, he doesn't have, like, the sort of technical subtlety that most teams want from a fullback now. Like, he's incredibly, he's incredibly athletic, obviously really quick. Like, his crossing isn't great, and he's not... Like, you can't imagine him coming inside and playing as an inverted fullback. Like, he just doesn't have a technical ability. Um... People, of course, are always looking for incomings. The one that we that the noise is around at the moment is the Genoa uh, centre back uh, Dragusin. What's the latest on that? So Tottenham and Genoa are talking at the moment about trying to trying to negotiate a fee for Dragusin. Um, I'm sure that if that happens, then the deal will go through. I can't imagine they have any issue with doing a deal with the player. Um, so it's just wait and see. Really, it sounds like. It feels like in the last week or so, there's been a movement towards Dragosin away from Todibo, who um, clearly they were, you know, there has been sort of speculation around, but I gather um, Todibo's, he would have cost, you know, let's say 50, 60 million, and Dragosin will be a fraction of that. And um, I wonder whether Tottenham might feel that, given that they want a centre-back, a number eight, and a a wide attacking player, this month, they might feel that if they did Tadebo, Tadebo would be the only incoming. Whereas if they can go for Dragosin, then they would still have a bit of a wiggle room to to land one or two others. Even if you know that includes loans or or uh, or cheaper deals down the line. But I think you know putting all your eggs in a 50, 60 million basket this some this winner doesn't feel quite right. Not least when that player isn't going to be guaranteed. Necessary. I mean, I know they would play now, but not necessarily in the longer term. Okay, and perhaps um, just as importantly, uh, a week or so after Destiny Doggy signed a longer-term deal, um, I think Jack, you broke the story. Um, Pepsar, bless him, um, has signed till twenty thirty. 
Um, and, and again, given that Spurs paid very little for him, and he's starting to fulfil the potential that French journalists told me he had, um, this is very important for Spurs. So obviously Odogi signed the new con- new long-term contract through to 2030 a few weeks ago. And I think after, after, after getting his signature, Tottenham's priority was to get a new deal through for Saar. You know, th- at this stage in the season, really, when all the incomings are done, it's all settled down a bit, generally that's when clubs look to, particularly a club like Tottenham, who puts a lot of emphasis on constantly tying its younger players down with, with renegotiations, which is easier to do when they're younger because they're, you know, the the smaller. Generally speaking, with young, this is how Spurs have always done it in the past, particularly in the Pochettino era. You get a squad full of young players. You offer them small uplifts in salary every year, and so you're always renegotiating and extending their contracts. And that means that you always have the upper hand in in if, if should they ever want to leave the club. And that's really how Tottenham. When Tottenham were really good ten years ago, that's that's basically how it operated. And then it all it kind of started to fall apart a bit towards the end of the Pochettino era, when uh, Ericsson and Alderweireld and players like that and Delhi did, decided, hold on a second, we don't need to sign these contracts, do we? Why don't we just not sign the contracts and there and then see what Tottenham are going to do? But anyway, that's a you know that's a topic for another day. Tottenham are back in the, what you might call this kind of renegotiation phase um, trying to get the young players turned signed up and tied down um a doggy was the first one and now Saar the weird thing about Saar is that we we didn't really see much from last season the one time we saw him or the one, one of the few times we saw him was playing really really well against AC Milan and the San Siro um looking so natural and calm and good on the ball and then we didn't see him again and then he gave away the penalty in the Saints game, which led to the Conte rant. It wasn't a penalty, though, was it? I thought it was no, a penalty. No, Jack. It wasn't. What are you on about? You've been off too long. Maybe. Okay. Well, that was the last. That was one of the last things we saw from him, wasn't it? And then he... Oh, and he played in the 6-1, didn't he, at St. James' Park? Yes. So, yeah. We, so, we only saw flashes of him. But he's coming this season. He's so good. Like, he, he, it's not just... So he's got obviously he's got a great shot, he's got great running power and speed. But he's so like he's so natural on the ball. His first touch away from opponents is great, which really allows him to to break forward quickly. He's I didn't think he was very good without the ball last season, but I do think he's improving there under the benefit of of, of the manager. Um and yeah, I just think he's a he's a fantastic all round player. James, so that takes us to the fact that um we were doing our highlights and lowlights of the of the calendar year 2023. You haven't had a chance to do that. What are, what are your things or moments that you'll remember, good or bad, um, from 2023? And boy, have you got some cho- some choice. Oh yeah, I'd love to be contrary and pick a positive moment from the first half of the year and a negative moment from the second half of the year. Yeah, I really have been trying to find a positive. I mean, I know there was the Harry Kane record, but I was ill and missed that game, so I. Yeah, I, I couldn't really pick that. Um, what would be the specific nadir of it? I mean, I guess that Bournemouth game with all of like the people abusing Sanchez. Uh, just made, I, I know, and it wasn't that game either, actually. Uh, but the whole thing made me really uncomfortable. And it was just, I think, like a sort of symptom of several things, but notably the kind of toxicity around the club at that point. Uh, I always think that when things are kind of aligned culturally, in terms of like a manager and a group of players and a sense that everyone is on the same page, like generally the fan base will kind of go with it and everyone's 
getting on and there's no bickering on social media or in the on the stands or whatever. Uh, and that was, yeah, a, a pr- pretty horrible thing to happen, even though I was going to say a pretty horrible thing to experience, but again, I wasn't in the game. But I, I, like, the idea of it was just really horrible. Um, so I'd probably say that was the low point. And then, I mean, just to flip that, to contrast that with the atmosphere after the Manchester United game, uh, it was one of the most amazing things. You know, first time game of the season, obviously they'd drawn the first game, so it wasn't even like they'd taken six points from the first two games. Uh, yeah, just an amazing party atmosphere that just went on for so, so long after the game. And we recorded the podcast outside the ground that night, and there were still so many people around. Uh, and it did give you a real sense of how much the mood had changed, how quickly. And it's pretty incredible. You know, for p- people like singing Postacoglu's name, his first home game, for like, uh, like kind of 15, 20 minutes on a loop after the game in the, in the kind of uh, concourse area. Uh, I've never really experienced anything like that at any point uh, with Spurs. Uh, and oh, it's probably sort of been tempered slightly by some of the issues we've discussed before with, you know, player injuries and whatever. It's not quite as sort of vociferous as it was then, but it's definitely a much better atmosphere at games now than there was uh, at any point really in the last decade or whatever. Certainly since they left White Hart Lane, I should say. Jack, you've you've only been covering Spurs for a few years and James, you've been following them for a long, long time, me a little bit longer I, I racked my brains, James and uh, and Jack, and I can't think of another more turbulent year in Spurs' history. There was times when it looked like they were going out under, out of business, um, you know, um, when, when Alan Sugar bought the club and all the rest of it. But on and off the field, I guess, but particularly on, very few clubs could have experienced quite the sort of ups, downs and the fervor of both the negative feelings and then people who I know have been who are long in the tooth and very sanguine sort of individuals ringing me to say oh Dan you should have been there for the you know the Sheffield United game at the end of that the the, the madness of the celebrations um I, I can't come on someone help me has there ever been a year like this Literally the other day, I was I was thinking about stuff to, to say on this podcast, and I was and I so I was preparing, and I said, and I wrote down, when did Tottenham last have four managers in a year? And then I kind of thought about it for like ten seconds, and I realised they had four managers in twenty twenty one. In twenty twenty one, they were managed by Mourinho, Mason, Nuno, and Conte, and then in twenty twenty three, they were managed by Conte, Stellini, Mason, and Postacoglu. So um, it's not a long, it's not a long gap. Um, and also, and I do think I, I, I'm not disagreeing with James at all because I'm sure that the, I'm sure that the Man United atmosphere was really good. But whenever we talk in general about how you know how much better the atmosphere is now than it's ever been before, I don't think we should forget the fact that people were really buzzing. You know, basically when Conte was good, you know, when they hammered Arsenal and. And got top four. Yeah, this was something slightly different to that, though. It, uh, uh, this was like beyond just like that. That that night was incredible, and that, but that was entirely based on that result and the potential for that to be a top four finish. Obviously, beating Arsenal. Th- this was more of a sort of celebration of a sense of like we can enjoy this again. Which takes us to the next issue. Um, they've got another game. As I say, you could probably pick a slightly better team from the players who are not available than the ones who are. 
But the FA Cup should be an important um, tie, an important competition. They've got a home tie on Friday, um, admittedly against another Premier League team. Um, first of all, any of the injured players anywhere near coming back, Jack? Uh, I don't think so, although I wouldn't have expected Benson Kerr to come back when he did, and obviously he was a month or so ahead of schedule. But no, of, of the sort of significant ones, um, Romero, Van der Ven, Madison, uh, I don't think I'd expect any of them to be involved. And James, I think I know the answer in advance, which is not what I like on, on this podcast, but um, a strongest possible team? And let's get ourselves to the fourth round of the FA Cup. Well, I mean... Uh, I said earlier that Postacoglu hasn't really been picking teams. He's had teams picked for him on the basis of injuries and suspensions. Uh, And that combined with the fact that they've not had a midweek game either side. I do wonder whether actually he might just basically play more or less the same team. I know there's always a risk of someone picking up a red card or an injury in the game in that instance. But But you could get injured in training, can't you? You Yeah, exactly. Uh, I mean... Might depend on like Valise's fitness. Say we, I don't think we know yet what his uh, what his injury is and what the recovery time is likely to be for that. So maybe maybe he would come in if he was available. And then there's like I don't know like Hoiberg or someone. But I don't. Maybe it would be odd to play Benton Kerr in the circumstances. Um, but you know we don't know as much about his recovery from that ankle injury as the club do clearly. Uh, so actually, I wouldn't I wouldn't be massively surprised if it wasn't m- a very similar team to the team that played against Bournemouth, just purely on the basis of it not being a scope for loads of rotation. Because I mean, otherwise, what is he doing putting in like Dorrington or Donnelly or I don't know. I I just wouldn't be surprised if it was quite a strong team, or, or you know, <laughs> in comparison to the Premier League team. And I would also not be surprised if Burnley, in their circumstances, don't make eight, nine, ten, eleven changes. So, if those two things happen and their attitude is right, then they should win the game, really, shouldn't they? And, of course, Jack, with um, with the draw, throwing out uh, two of the teams who could definitely beat Spurs, you know, on their day, Arsenal-Liverpool together, um, six games, you can win a major trophy. Yeah, I think they've, they've got to go for it. You know, they've got no European football. They've got no League Cup football because they lost their, their first and only League Cup game. Um, so even with the injuries they've had and the international commitments this month, they can't complain too much about um, loading this season. Um, I think they've got to go for it. I, I, I don't want them to make too many changes on... Um, I don't think they, like, I agree with James, I don't think they will do, but... They haven't really got that many options, have they? So um, it's not a good thing. There's no way I can dress that up as a good thing, um, but it will force the manager, I think, to play a pretty strong, oh, the strongest available team. And they've got, what, eight days between this game and Old Trafford the following Sunday. So, yeah, I think they've got to go for it. Thank you both for um, helping me through this first one. I've got a, I've missed, I've missed the podcast so terribly. And I hope that you have too. We're, we're back regularly now, twice a week, free, of course. Um, and don't forget to go and vote for us. Um, if you go over to um, uh, at VFTL podcast on Twitter. Um, I'll put it on mine as well, at Danny Kelly Words. Um, just remind you as well that, that that is the official home on Twitter, at VFTL podcast. And you can email us your views, thoughts, and congratulations um, at VFTL at theathletic.com. And for the best Spurs coverage anywhere, 
make sure that you sign up to Athletic yourself. You can take advantage of our latest offer, which is just $1.99 a month for 12 months. You simply go to athletic.com forward slash Spurs pod to subscribe. Uh, all I've got to do now is to wish Jack and James and, of course, Charlie um, a very, very happy new year to all of you who helped me make the podcast. Um, and to every one of you out there listening to us, we really do appreciate it. And I know at times um, it can seem like, uh, you know, you're, you're not necessarily being listened to because we can't read out every single email that we get. But genuinely, we love having you along for the ride. A happy new year and a healthy new year to you and each and every one of your loved ones. Back again soon. The Athletic.